Before I go ahead and uh, introduce our speaker, I did want to just share with you guys a little bit about something that we uh, believe here at the church. It's, uh, it's something called One to One. Um, I did it a couple of years ago with one of our pastors, uh, Matt. And, uh, you know, I'll be honest with you guys, I didn't know what to expect, didn't, never heard of one-to-one. Um, it was actually one of the first lessons on lordship where I realized, man, it was um, very impactful for me. It was very humbling for me to be reminded of the lordship of Christ. And uh, so, it, you know, I've been at church 30 years and I, it was still a really good, just like a foundational truth for me to be reminded of the Lordship of Christ. And so um, I encourage you, if you've never heard of it or if you've even done it, um, you know, either engage with it or maybe hopefully do it with somebody else. And so, um, yeah, that's just wanted to shout out one to one. I do believe that it's, it's, it's really good spiritual disciplines and foundations for all of us. So. All right, without further ado, I'll stop talking now. I'll go ahead and introduce uh, Pastor Matt, our speaker for today. All right, thank you, Johnny. I was hoping that you would introduce me with a holy kiss. I'm extremely disappointed and my day is ruined. But I'm happy again looking out and seeing all of you. Thank you for joining us today here at Every Nation Church Las Vegas. Uh, we here at Every Nation Church Las Vegas want to honor God as a mission-driven, multi-ethnic, and multi-generational church. We thank God that he is doing that, and we hope that you'd be a part of that. Uh, so connect with us. We here at this church are all about relationship, relationships with God and with one another. And we want to do that through life groups, face-to-face relationship. Come talk to us after the service. We'd love to connect with you. Well, as I get my notes open, uh, we are starting a brand new series called Reboot. I have to reboot my phone. Uh, Sometimes we need to reboot our technology, things like our laptops, our computers. Uh, Sometimes the window closes, Microsoft Windows, you know, it closes. You have to reopen it again. And what a reboot does is it shuts the programs down so it can start back up again. So it gets a fresh start. And there are different moments in our lives in which we need a fresh start. Isn't that right? So that's our hope for this series. We want to have a whole new way of thinking so that our hearts, our actions, our attitudes can all be aligned with the heart of God and his will for our lives. But before we get into that, I mentioned laptops. I try to make my electronics last as long as they possibly can because who wants to spend money on those things, right? I guess some people want to spend money on those things. Who can spend money on those things? So I try to stretch it out, but eventually it reaches a breaking point and it needs to be replaced. Has anyone here ever had something broken, missing, lost, replaced before? Right? Every once in a while, we need a replacement. We've replaced phones. We've replaced laptops. But one of my favorite things to get replaced is my sunglasses. And now this is going to turn into a free commercial for the sunglass company Shady Rays. Uh, I used to be Team Ray-Bans. And then I realized, hey, these Ray-Bans are pretty expensive. Let me try something else. Shady Rays has commercials on the podcast that I listen to all the time. Shout out to the fantasy footballers. I'm giving secrets away here. You're welcome. I hope you're blessed. And I I said, okay, let me try this out. So I go on to the website on Black Friday. It's the best deal. I get an email from the company. Thank you for buying from us. Oh, by the way, everything you bought helps pay for a meal for people and you have a free lifetime warranty. So if you ever break your sunglasses, or if you ever lose your sunglasses, we will replace them if all you do is pay for the processing fee. And I thought, this is too good to be true. But I'm going to take care of my things, and I hope I never have to cash this in. There came a day where I was on a jet ski. 
And I decided to go 50 or 60 miles per hour. Really fun. And these sunglasses flew off of my head and into the Colorado River. There's probably a striped bass wearing them right now. And because of that, I had to get them replaced. So I emailed Shady Rays, and sure enough, they replaced my, sh- my sunglasses, and all I had to do was pay 10 bucks for shipping and handling. Sometimes, there are broken and missing pieces in us. And we need to get those pieces replaced. And one thing that can be broken in us is fear. We can become afraid. We can be marked by even a spirit of fear. But God wants to help us replace that. And this is why our main passage today is 2 Timothy 1.7. Many of you know it. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. So God wants to replace our fear with something else. And he wants to help us go from being afraid to unafraid. It's like Scooby after some Scooby snacks. How does God reboot us and take us from being afraid to unafraid? That's what we'll talk about today. Pray with me. Lord, thank you for this great opportunity to gather together and hear your word. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak to us today in a way that only you can and do what only you can. And that is to move our hearts in a way that inspires us to follow and worship you. Lord, I pray for anyone here who wrestles with fear on a regular basis or a spirit of fear. Lord, I pray that this morning you would set the captives free. It's not something I can do, but I know you can do it and I know you want to. So meet us exactly where we are, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So I think it's generally obvious to anyone who's ever been in church before. Maybe you heard a kid's church song. Maybe you watched Veggie Tales. But God doesn't want us to be afraid. If you see a TV show that says, are you afraid of the dark? God wants you to say no. If you read Goosebumps, God doesn't want you to have goosebumps. God doesn't want us to be afraid. But what is a spirit of fear? Now we know what fear feels like. right? Your mind starts to race. Your heart beats fast. Maybe your palms are sweaty. Your knees weak and your arms are heavy. There's vomit on your sweater already. Mom's spaghetti. You're nervous, but on the surface, you look scared. That didn't rhyme, but it's okay. Maybe you start to scream, but terror takes the sound before you make it. You start to freeze, and terror looks you right between the eyes. You're paralyzed because it's thriller. It's thriller night. We know what fear feels like, but this scripture had a really particular phrase, and that was God gave us a spirit, not of fear. Other translations will use God did not give us a spirit of fear. What exactly is a spirit of fear? So if I peel back the curtains on the sermon development process for just a moment, one of the tools that I like to use is called an interlinear Bible, and it shows us the English words, but it also has the original Hebrew or Greek language on top of that, and it has numbers which corresponds with concordance anyway, that's boring stuff. I click on the word for fear because I'm trying to figure out, all right, what exactly is God trying to communicate through the Apostle Paul as he writes to his spiritual son Timothy? And I click on the word for fear in this scripture, and what I'm expecting to see is the Greek word phobos. It's where we get phobia, arachnophobia, uh, thalassophobia, phobia, phobia. Now, when I click on the word fear, it's not phobos. It's a word that I had never seen before. I think it's like Delia or something like that. But the point was, that word for fear in this scripture is used nowhere else in the Bible. This is the single unique usage for this word fear 
in the New Testament and in the Old Testament, anywhere in Scripture. So there's no basis for comparison. It's unique. And a lot of times we have unique situations that we fear. There are unique things in our lives. The way God is moving, <laughs> the way it seems like God is not moving, we become afraid of those things. And so I thought, okay, God used this for a reason. He inspired Paul to write this for a reason. So then the next step was to zoom out and take context clues from everything else that Paul wrote to Timothy. So Paul and Timothy, a lot of you know this, but for those who don't, they have a very close relationship. This is like the Apostle Paul's spiritual son. He raised him up in a lot of ways to be his successor. And you can see this love overflowing between them as Paul writes First and Second Timothy, which was written as a letter and a set of two letters that was then shared to the broader church, and that's why we have it today. So as Paul writes to Timothy, he's writing to someone he knows very well and loves very much, and he's writing to him very intentionally. And in these two letters from First and Second Timothy, he writes a lot about the subjects of being bold, or courageous, or standing strong, or fighting the good fight of faith. In fact, between these two letters, which are not long, Paul refers to these topics roughly 25 times. So this is a really important theme. And it's probably because Timothy needed to hear it. Now, Timothy might have been a really fearful person. Maybe he was worried constantly like, oh no, what's going to happen? What are people going to say? Maybe he's a very anxious person. Maybe his mind naturally runs at 100 miles an hour. Or maybe he's a little bit like me. One of the ways in which God has shaped my personality is that I'm futuristic. I look ahead to many different possibilities. And because I'm looking ahead so often, I forget what's in front of me. And that's why I need to remember that my wallet and keys are under these, my seat right here. And Pastor Ronald knows what I'm talking about. But one of the downfalls to this aspect of my personality is that I can't stop myself from thinking about the worst case scenario. For example, the Eagles are playing the Cowboys today. I'm an Eagles fan that accidentally wore Cowboys colors. What if I jinxed my team? What if we lose to the Cowboys? Worst case scenario. Now, there are things that we don't worry about or fear that much, but I, I, I kind of do fear that. But there are other things that are much worse. Like when I kiss my wife and two daughters goodbye in the morning on their way to school, what if something happens to them? What if something happens to my family members? What if something happens to me? What if something happens to us? Some of you know that we've been on a journey of being locked out of our storage unit. Uh, we're finally getting back into that, and we don't know what we're going to find. What if everything's gone? Maybe Timothy was like me. Or maybe Timothy was a completely normal person, and he had normal courage, but God entrusted him with an extraordinary responsibility. At this point, Timothy was leading the church in Ephesus, which was probably one of, if not the biggest churches in the New Testament at this point, when Paul is writing this. So Timothy is leading a brand new church in a place far from Jerusalem where Jesus actually rose from the dead. He's reaching Jews. He's reaching Gentiles. He's reaching people who have real lives and real problems. And there is a lot to worry about. So Timothy might have been worried about problems that might happen in the world. 
For example, they're living in the New Testament, and earlier in the New Testament, probably before the writing of these books, they had gone through a regional famine. And famine doesn't sound like a big deal for us. If Smith's runs out of groceries, we just go to Albertsons. If Sam's Club is too crowded, we go to Costco. But if there was a famine in the first century, there was nothing you could do but hope you could find enough food. In fact, if you read the New Testament and you hear about contributions being made to the saints in Jerusalem, that's the reason for the contribution. They were going through famine, they had food, they had no food, they needed money. So that's one thing he could have worried about. Another very real and distinct possibility was that the Apostle Paul could have very well been executed by the time Timothy got to him. Paul was in prison while he was writing 2 Timothy. He could have been worried about the fate of his spiritual father who loved him and treated him like a son. He might have also been very worried about the things that people might say about him as he's trying to lead this diverse group of people from diverse backgrounds who are getting to know God as not only they hear the gospel for the first time, as the entire world hears the gospel for the first time. And in particular, the city of Ephesus worshipped their old god, Artemis, Diana, through temple prostitution. And then Timothy would have passed them through that and said, well, you know, God has reserved sex for marriage. What do you mean? What are you talking about? So Timothy might have been worried about problems that could arise and the things that people might think. And we can worry and be afraid of the very same things today. There are a lot of problems in the world. I'm not sure if you knew this. There are multiple wars happening right now in Ukraine, in Israel, in Gaza, in Palestine. People are dying. There's a lot to worry about, especially for those of us or those of you who have loved ones in the armed forces. Inflation is still at a 40-year high. Elections are happening next year. And people are worried about that. A lot of problems in our world. And there are a lot of opinions in our world. We can also be afraid of what people might think. In fact, this might have grown over the course of time because they didn't have Facebook. They didn't have Instagram. They didn't have TikTok. In fact, in the first century, they didn't even have clocks that could go TikTok. They had sundials. But we have people who can dial up the phone and tell us exactly what they think about us. So other people have constant exposure to our, our lives as we share them. And we have constant exposure to their opinions. And we might be really worried about what people think about us. And all of this fear can cause a reaction. One reaction that we might have to fear is to hide. Uh, Paul was a Pharisee, so as he thought through fear and tried to describe it in a unique way, maybe he thought about one of the judges of Israel, Gideon. We read about Gideon in the book of Judges, and we know that Gideon was a very fearful person. Now, Gideon lived at a time in which Midian was invading Israel, and Gideon was worried that Midian would start hitting him. That's all I got. So, he hides. Inside, he's doing really messy outdoor work inside where it's really not even that helpful, but he can't help himself because he's afraid. And so he started to hide. And many times when we're afraid, we try to hide. Another reaction that fear could cause within us is that we might try to run. 
And when, or when Jesus was arrested, his disciples, all but John, ran away from him. And if you go home and read through 2 Timothy, you'll find that many of Paul's comrades who were spreading the gospel with him ran away from him when he started writing 2 Timothy. And the people who were walking with him left him alone as he sat there in prison. So this is what fear does. But the Bible mentioned a spirit of fear. And fear didn't have any other comparisons in the New Testament, but the word spirit did. So the word for spirit in that passage was pneuma. Pneuma, pneuma, yay. Uh, pneuma is the Greek word for spirit, but it also refers to breath. So a spirit of fear can be translated to mean fear that is present with every breath. Fear that's constant. Fear that keeps you captive. And whether this fear causes you to run or causes you to hide, the end result is that we don't go anywhere near the will of God for our lives. We don't go forward. We are captive and we are stuck. A spirit of fear then is marked by consistent, even constant negative reactions to things that might happen to us, bad things that might happen to us. And it holds us captive and it keeps us from moving forward into the will of God. Now, no one wants to live this way. No one wants to be captive by fear. So in, in order to be free from the shackles of fear, sometimes we try to work up the courage all by ourselves. But we need to be careful about that too. Because we can't replace fear with misplaced confidence. When I thought about the idea of fear, I thought about Gideon. But when I think about the idea of misplaced confidence, my mind goes to another judge in the Old Testament, and this judge is Samson. Uh, God gave Samson this extraordinary superhuman strength so that he could free the people of Israel from the clutches of the Philistines. And Samson used it. So he killed the lion with his bare hands, and then a thousand enemy soldiers come to approach him to take him captive. And as he's walking along the road, he finds a donkey's jawbone and he picks it up and he kills the enemy soldiers, all 1,000 of them, with a jawbone. So this is a very, very strong dude. And because Samson is so strong, he places his trust in his strength rather than the God who gave it to him. And sometimes in our effort to be unafraid. We try to place our confidence in other things rather than God and his love for us. We can try to place our confidence in ourselves, in our intelligence, in our experience, in our background, in our resources, in our connections, in anything, in our relationships, in our family or friends. We try to place our hope, our trust, our confidence in something. The problem with that is anything other than God, is limited and finite by nature, and therefore has the possibility of failing us when we need it. Uh, there was a blackout in my house some time ago, and I don't know if my mom remembers this, but we were all home, and none of our phones were charged. So we couldn't exactly rely on our flashlights. I think we used mine because I had 20%, and everyone else had less. And we just had to wait for the lights to turn back on. And we were able to use the one flashlight to find some candles and some lighters. And we were able to get the smooth and beautiful and wonderful smelling scents from Bed Bath & Beyond, beyond our house. 
And we made it through, but I decided I'm never going to get stuck without light in a blackout again. So I'm going to buy flashlights. And I'll put them strategically in different rooms of the house because I think about possibilities. And I'll put a battery in them because flashlights need batteries. So I set us up for success. And then my daughter, Allie, the five-year-old, discovered shadow puppets. And she started to play shadow puppets with these batteries and the flashlights that we put everywhere. And one day I thought to check these flashlights and I checked one and it wasn't working. And I checked another and that one wasn't working either. And they were almost all dead. I was trusting in those to save me in case of a blackout and if the lights had actually gone out, it would have failed me. Misplaced confidence. We need to be careful that we don't misplace our confidence. Instead of placing our confidence and our trust trying to become unafraid by giving our confidence to something else, we can put our confidence and trust in God. And God replaces our fear with power, love, and a sound mind. That's what God does. That's what he wants to do. And when we talk about these three things, we think about them, and we could talk about each one of those items for years. We could talk about the power of God for years. The love of God, we will talk about it and think about it and enjoy it and live in it for the rest of eternity. Sound mind? I want a sound mind right now. I'm worried about the cowboys. But the, the scripture presents these three things in light of God using them as a solution for our fears. So let's think about them in that respect. The first item that Paul mentions is God's power. And when we are afraid, especially when we're afraid constantly, the direction that our minds tend to drift in is to ask the question, what can I do? What can I do in response to this bad thing that might happen? How many flashlights should I buy? How can I be prepared? How can I deal with this? How can I cope? What should I do? That's what fear causes us to ask. On the contrary, when we're focused on God's power and God's ability and what God can do, we start to ask a new question. Instead of asking, what can I do? We start to ask, what can God do? What can God do in my life? What can God do in the situations that I face? What can God do in the difficulty that I'm looking at? What can God do in my relationships? What can God do for my family? What can God do? We need to shift our focus from our power and our capability and really our powerlessness and shift our focus again to the power of God and to start asking the question, what can God do? And that single question shifts our perspective completely so that we are no longer filled with fear, but we are filled with faith. And when we ask the question, what can God do? It doesn't resolve us of any effort or responsibility. What it means is that we're choosing to trust God first and we're choosing to trust God most. God is our first option and not our last resort. And when we go to God first, he blesses everything we do in his name. So we give God our best and we trust him with the rest. And even when things don't work out our way, we can look back at God's power too. Because the ultimate situation was already resolved. God declared Jesus to be the son of God in power by raising him from the dead. That single historical fact is the foundation of everything we believe as Christians. And because Jesus really did rise from the dead, we know that things are going to work out in the end. We know that God will save us and that we'll live with him in a relationship that, in which we can find love and fulfillment and joy that lasts forever. 
and he will redeem us and the world too. That's what happens when we focus on the power of God. It's not about what we can do, it's about what he can do. The second thing Paul mentioned was love. And fear does this funny thing to us. It causes our hearts to turn inward onto themselves. And it's like our hearts crawl into the fetal position, sheltering themselves from any bad thing that could happen. Fear turns our hearts inward and causes us to act out of self-preservation. But love does the complete opposite of that. Love first turns our heart upward toward God. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind and with all of your strength. If we're loving God with all of our mind and all of our strength, there's not a lot left to give to fear. So love for God turns our hearts upward as we love him. In the Every Nation family, discipleship or following Jesus is marked by three F's. And the first F is follow God. We love the Lord our God as we follow him. Our hearts also turn outward because of love, because we start to think beyond ourselves and we start to think about other people. The second great commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. And the other two F's that are official in the Every Nation family, by the way, are fish for people or share the love of Jesus with people who don't know them, don't know him, and fellowship with the church. Build these relationships that help you grow closer to God with people who know God too. So love turns us upward and outward. And instead of crawling into the fetal position and focusing on self-preservation, we start to think about service. We start to think about how we can glorify God through our lives and how we can love the people around us the same way that he loved us. That's what love does. And finally, Paul mentions a sound mind. And it's really interesting because fear has no other instance in the New Testament of usage. It's unique. And sound mind also has no other use in the New Testament. It's also unique. So fear fills us with panic, but a sound mind can fill us with peace. And I think one thing we can learn from the uniqueness of these two words in Greek is that we all have these unique situations that can cause us to be fearful. However, God can also give us all unique peace. Peace that passes all understanding. We read about that in Philippians 4. And what that really means is that we can be in a situation that makes no sense for us to be peaceful in it. When everything's falling apart, when it's the worst case scenario, when it's as bad as you can imagine, God can give us peace that passes all understanding. He can, he can give us a sound mind that allows us to make sound decisions. That's what we can find in him. So God causes us to be unafraid when he gives us power, love, and a sound mind. And as I read these things, I got excited and I wanted to know how do I become powerful and loving and how do I earn a sound mind? And when I read the scripture again, I saw that God gave us a spirit, not of power, love, not of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. In other words, these things that God gives us as a solution to fear, it's a gift. And it is a gift to be received by faith. But the beautiful thing about this gift is that it comes again and again. Now, you can get wonderful gifts. We got wonderful gifts uh, last week for Pastor's Appreciation Day. We got wonderful gifts uh, leading up throughout October. We were very blessed by those gifts. Um, 
So that's one kind of gift. You open it up, you unwrap it, you enjoy it. Another kind of gift that we can especially do today is you can give somebody a subscription to something. There's HelloFresh, the food subscription. You know about subscriptions to magazines, National Geographic. I don't, I don't have subscriptions to magazines. That's as far as I can go. I used to have a subscription to a fishing service called Mystery Tackle Box that, sent, that would send me a box of fishing lures every month. And every time the gift came, you opened it again. So this gift that we get from God of power and love and a sound mind, it's a subscription gift that is made available because it comes to us by God's spirit every single day. And it's up to us whether or not we choose to open it. And we open it when we sit with God. And we do what we talked about in worship today. We spend that time with him because we want nothing else but him. When we lean into his word, when we lean into prayer, we are opening up this gift of God again, asking him, make me bold for you today. Give me power. Help me beyond my own capacity. Help me to love you. Help me to love people. Give me a sound mind by which to live and love and lead as you've called me to. We unwrap this gift every single day. Then we use it. And we use it because we become unafraid of suffering for the mission of God. The mission of God does, in fact, unfortunately, involve suffering. And uh, Paul elaborates on this in the very next scripture. This is 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. And they say, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Paul's not hiding the fact that living for God and sharing the mission of God often involves suffering. He's in prison while he writes this. And in fact, uh, history and tradition indicate to us that he was probably captive in the Mamertine prison. Now, the Mamertine prison was in Rome, and it was a place where people stayed while they awaited execution. So Paul was probably in a dark, damp cell, and back then, they didn't have any indoor plumbing at all. They didn't have a bed. He was sleeping on the rocks. And we know for a fact that he was cold because at the end of the letter, when he's finishing his charge to Timothy, one of the last things he says to his spiritual son is like, hey, can you come quickly and bring my blanket? Can you bring my cloak? It's really cold, dude. I got a North Face that I left at your house. Can I have that? I need it. Thanks. Suffering for the gospel. Many of his friends and co-laborers for God, they left him. Some were on mission. Some were sharing in the mission of God. Some were scared. So Paul suffered 
for the mission of God. You know, it's funny when we as modern day American Christians think about what it means to suffer for the sake of the gospel. Because as far as we can tell, we aren't going to be thrown into dark, damp, cold prison cells in our lifetime. It's possible. Not likely. Not here. But we do have to suffer some things. Jesus said, if anyone wants to be my disciple, you must deny yourself and pick up your cross and follow me. He didn't say, pick up your stuffy, or pick up your stuffed animal, or pick up your comfort, or pick up your my pillow, or pick up your phone. Pick up your cross as a symbol of sacrifice. So as we follow Jesus, there must come sacrifice. We will have to sacrifice so many different things. And as we follow Jesus, we might have to sacrifice among those things the way people think about us. This is 2023. People might try to cancel us. And they might try to let you know that you've been canceled. Why on earth would we choose to live that way? Why would we choose to sacrifice finances or time or our gifts or our mental energy or sacrifice our emotions as we get involved in the church and get involved in disciple making and we get frustrated or we get hurt or we get tired or we get weak? Why would we do it? It's worth it. But suffer for the mission of God because it's worth it. And it's worth it because Jesus is worthy. Jesus is the Son of God who came to earth to live a perfect life that we all failed to live and to go to the cross to pay the penalty for the sin that we couldn't afford to pay. And after he died on the cross in our place for our sin, he rose again three days later to prove that he is the Son of God and he is eternally victorious. Death could not hold him. And he's waiting for us, offering the gift of salvation and forgiveness to anyone who believes in him. Jesus is worthy. And in him, we find eternal purpose. That's why it's worth it too. That passage that we just read in 2 Timothy says that God gave us a holy calling before the ages began. Before God said, let there be light, God said, let there be a purpose for your life. Before God said, let there be ground to rise up, God said, I'm going to give you a reason to stand. God allows us to walk in purpose as we find our place in his mission. And this purpose, if we walk in it, will echo throughout eternity. I think about those handprints and footprints that we leave in concrete sometimes. They last. They don't go anywhere. And when we share the mission of God, regardless of the cost, we leave our handprints on eternity. It's worth it share in suffering for the sake of the mission of God to tell people that Jesus loves them I uh, had a reminder of this personally about a week and a half ago uh, we have been building relationships with people in the community uh, because we want to share Jesus and his love in the context of relationships and as we built relationships with people at a park nearby Paul Meyer Park it's where we had park day uh, they made an opportunity available to us and they said hey sign up for our trunk or treat You'll be able to meet people in the community, and you'll be able to pass out candy to kids, and it's totally okay for you to pass out info for the church too. I said, great, that sounds awesome, I'll be there. And then we went to Idaho and Montana for my sister's wedding, and I forgot. <laughs> so Tuesday comes, and the trunk or treat was on 
October 25th, it was a Wednesday. I'm like, hey, y'all still need people to come? And they're like, yes, come pass out candy. And I thought, okay, they must be desperate. They're going to need help for this small little thing, but we'll be there to help, and we're going to go love on our neighbors, and we're going to tell people about Jesus. And we started to look on Amazon for these cool kits to decorate the trunk. And Jericho found this nice sign that says, fall in love with Jesus. Because it's fall. And you fall in love with Jesus. And I'm like, wow, super corny. Super corny, dude. I don't think I want that. And I, we, I had a discussion with her like, is that too religious? Are people going to think we're weirdos? And she said, no, they're not going to think that about us. It'll start conversation like, okay. I'm just going to check with Pastor Roland to make sure. And P. Rose said, hey, no, I think it's going to be fine. We're a church. It's going to be a conversation starter. I'm like, okay. I'm going to text other people anyway. And they keep saying the same thing over and over and over again. It's like, okay, I'll get it. And when people think we're weird, it's going to be your fault. So it comes in the mail, and I'm like, oh, shucks. And I put it up in the car, and I'm driving. I'm leaving my house to go to the trunk or tree, and I realize that I am being captive to a spirit of fear. So then I start to think, what can God do? What is God capable of doing with this corny little sign that I taped to my backseat? He is capable of having people stop and be reminded of how much he loves them. And maybe people are going to say no when we offer info cards to our church. Maybe they'll look the other way. Maybe they'll give me a dirty look. That's okay. It's worth it. So I got there and I set up and it was windy so the cat pieces were flying away. But I got it up and then Jerrica came and the two girls were there and Tam came and Pastor Roland came. And as we're passing out these info cards, some people said, no, I don't want it. Some people didn't make eye contact with us. Some people looked the other way. A couple people even gave us a dirty look. And some people were happy to take the card. Found out about our church. And some people were happy to shake our hands. And a couple of people even stopped and said, fall in love with Jesus. I really like your sign. I haven't been in church for a long time. Where do you guys meet? And God reminded me of what he can do when we walk with his power and his love and a sound mind. And if we'll do that, we don't know what might happen or how people might respond. But we do want know one thing that will happen. We'll end here and maybe DJ, you can come and just pad for us as we close today. What will happen is that if we share in God's mission, we will also share in God's victory. Uh, Timothy ends by mentioning suffering again in 2 Timothy. Uh, Paul ends as he writes Timothy. And he brings it up again. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Um, Bad. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 through 10. That's what he writes. That's what we're going to read together, and we're going to end here. Paul says, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is a hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember, 
Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. And you know what? I'm just going to go a little bit further. I want to read the last few scriptures. The saying is trustworthy, says verse 11. It might not be in your notes, but I have it here. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. But if we are faithless, he's faithful because he cannot deny himself. In the end, we're going to win. And if you knew that you'd win, why not go for it all? Why not shoot for the moon? Why not give your best? If you had the assurance that victory was guaranteed, give it all. Don't just win by crawling across the finish line. Win spectacularly. Cross the finish line with nothing left in the tank. Did you know that we as Christians are guaranteed to win? So don't live life crawling through it. Captivated by fear, wondering what might happen. I will tell you what will happen. If we walk with Jesus, then we'll reign with Jesus. If we share Jesus, then he will share his victory with us. And if we stand with him now, then we will stand with him forever. And he is saving for us. As if he hadn't given us enough, he is saving for us. A crown of life for those who persevere. I want that. And I imagine when I get my crown, I'm just going to throw it back at his feet. But it doesn't matter. I want it. And that's what happens when God makes us unafraid. How do we get there? We come to God every day. We ask him to give us a gift of power and love and a sound mind so that we can use the gift to share in the mission of God. And even if that means that we also have to share in suffering, then it's worth it. Because if we share in God's mission, then we will share in God's victory. Would you pray with me to our victorious King? Jesus, thank you that you reign supreme and that you are seated above the earth and thrown between the cherubim. You are on your throne. And from your perspective, it's done and we've won. I pray, Lord, that you would give us that confidence that reaches into the deepest parts of our soul in which we know that we win too. Lord, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would set the captives free. And I pray that if anyone here, in fact, if you have ever wrestled with a spirit of fear, and in particular, if you feel like you wrestle with fear or anxiety or worry right now about your life, 
about what will happen if you step out for Jesus, I want to ask you to raise your hand in faith if you want God to help set you free from that. Lord, in the name of Jesus, you see your children asking to be free. And I pray, Lord, that you would take the key and turn it to loose them from the shackles in Jesus' name. Lord, when Paul and Silas praised you in the prison, you set them free. The chains fell off and the gates swung open. And I pray, Lord, that right now in the name of Jesus, that as your people reach out to you with their hands up and their hearts up, Lord, that you would shake us free from the bondage of fear in the name of Jesus. I declare that the spirit of fear must go, that anxiety and worry must go. And in its place, I pray, my God, for your power, your love, and a sound mind to mark us as we move forward for you. Lord, show us where we can go and give us faith to get there as you walk alongside us. In Jesus' name, amen. One more thing I want to pray for this morning. If heads can remain bowed and eyes closed throughout this place. If you're here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you don't know what it means to walk with him, but you want to, you want to become a Christian, then I ask you, if that's you and that applies to you, to look up at me now. You can wave at me, maybe make sure I see you. Wave your hand if you know that's you. Okay, great. I see you. Awesome. Anybody else? How about if you're here and you haven't been walking with Jesus, but you know you have to, and you want to start that again today. If you want to do that, could you please look up at me and raise your hand? Anybody? Awesome. Great. Great. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to say a prayer together as a church that helps us declare our faith in Jesus out loud. Then I'm going to direct you to a couple people or a few people to look to after service. Come talk to one of them. But repeat after me first. As the church repeats along with us. Say, Father in heaven, thank you for sending Jesus. I believe that he lived, died for me on the cross, and rose again three days later. Help me to walk with you. Help me to follow you. Make me unafraid. To live for you. In your name, Jesus.